I'll do more than read the passage of Scripture, Brad. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do my best to, um, to unpack it. Okay, well, the, the passage is James 3, verses 1 through 12. And um, so since I'm diving into the middle of a book, as I often do when I'm asked to, to preach. I'll give a little bit of, of uh, context for you. First, by talking about um, how interesting of a book James is, uh, uh, both to Reformed Christians and to uh, all Christians in particular, to Reformed Christians maybe because uh, of Luther's resistance in recognizing it as Scripture. That's significant. Um, and to all Christians, because the author of this book is almost certainly James, the earthly brother of Jesus. So here's a little thumbnail sketch of James. He, uh, he was skeptical during Jesus' earthly ministry, but, uh, but he was converted when he became an eyewitness to the resurrection. Uh, James was considered one of the pillars of the church, along with Peter and John, and he presided over the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. And a particular church historian called him James the Just um, uh, for his extraordinary godliness and zeal for obedience to the law of God. Okay, so this is a man who had an extraordinary zeal for obedience to the law of God. And so the passage that we're considering from James is, uh, is about taming the tongue. And we want to ask, what does this half-brother of Jesus, this man of zeal for godliness and obedience, what does he have to say to us <clears throat> about the taming of the tongue? Or, uh, if you like, what does our Lord have to say to us about the taming of the tongue? So let's prepare ourselves for this passage in prayer before we read it. Father, we are grateful to be here, and we're happy to be worshiping you and serving you. We know that this passage, those of us who are familiar with it, uh, know this passage to be a heavy passage, and we know that you have heavy things in your word for us, um, heavy things that you lay upon us, so I pray that as we consider this, that you would bring the weight of this passage to bear on us, that your spirit would be here, present, working on each of us who hear this, and that we, <clears throat> that we might be changed by this um, for the sake of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, James 3. 1 through 12, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. 
Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Amen. This is God's holy word. So in verse 1, James warns that not many of us should become teachers, which is always a sobering thought for teachers of the word. It's usually a gulp that goes along with that. And James, recognizing that he himself is a teacher, gives the reason by saying that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. The Lord will judge his people, and the Lord will judge teachers with greater strictness. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the things done in this life. And this reminder of truth really has the potential of unsettling us, doesn't it? Let me refresh you with Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For more um, on the judgment for Christians, I really recommend the 33rd chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Moving on, having included himself in verse 1 for stricter judgment on teachers, James now goes on to say in verse 2 that we all stumble in many ways. He goes on to say that if anyone does not stumble in what he says, you see now he's transitioning onto the topic at hand, which is the the tongue and words that come out from the tongue. He says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, then he's a perfect man. And remember, James knew the one perfect man. He, He grew up with him. Verse three begins the illustrations about the the marvelous and powerful horse being guided by a small bit in the mouth. Those of us who know what that is, the piece of metal that goes into the horse's mouth that is attached to the straps, and that's how you get a horse to go where you'd like it to go. And then verse 4 moves to large ships being guided by a very small rudder. So what we should take from this is the, the relative tininess of the bit and the rudder guiding great and powerful uh, animals and sea crafts really should, should cause us to take notice of the very great importance of those small pieces, the bit and the rudder. 
It, they're, they're small, uh, relatively tiny, actually, um, but they're very important. And so can you think of the value of being on a horse or a ship that was incapable of being guided? What would it be like to be on a horse? As great a horse as you can imagine, or a ship, as fine, as fine a ship as you can imagine, that really couldn't be guided at all, right? Or maybe we should ask, what, what good is a horse or a ship that can't be guided at all? Big and powerful and beautiful as it is, there's really no telling where it'll take you. The, the word that usually goes along with being on something that can't be guided is, is lost. If you're, on, if, if you're on something that goes somewhere, like a horse or a ship, and it's incapable of being guided, you're going to get lost. So then verse 5, James connects that to the tongue. It's a small member, but it boasts of great things. And now really come the illustrations of disaster. How great a forest can be destroyed by a small fire? And here in California, and in paradise in particular, we, we feel the weight of, of that. A small fire can, can set ablaze a, a massive amount of, of space. So how disastrous a blaze can start by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. Verse 6. J- James is not making his point subtly. It's not a subtle point that he's making. The tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. So how much unrighteousness is contained in the tongue? A world full of it. A world full of unrighteousness. The tongue stains the whole body. So let's ask the question, what kind of a person are you? What, what, is, what is your character? Well, your tongue colors all of it. Your, your tongue colors your entire character. The tongue, uh, the tongue sets on fire the entire course of life, and the tongue itself gets its destructive fire from hell. The tongue is set on fire by hell. And so, if you've ever opened your mouth quickly and recklessly and said something just for the hell of it, uh, you, you, don't, you don't know how true the, the statement or how accurate that statement is. When you open your mouth and say something quickly and recklessly, just for the hell of it, that's, that's pretty close and pretty accurate to exactly what, what you're doing. So, so what about taming it? Verse 7 gives us first the contrast, right? All kinds of wild animals can be tamed, right? All, all, all kinds of wild animals they can be tamed and they have, be tamed, have been tamed. But verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. The tongue is a restless evil. Do you, you know what it feels like to be restless? You know what that word means, to be restless? It's, it's, you can't sit still. Some of our kids know what being restless is when they've been sitting too long. I'm restless. I I can't sit still. I can't get a moment's peace. And the tongue is like that. It wants to be active. It doesn't want to rest, and it's full of deadly poison. How would you react to something loose in your house that was restless and evil and full of deadly poison? 
uh, kind of like a poisonous snake. Loose, restless in your house. How does that make you feel? Well, it, it is in your house. There, there are as many of those as there are people in your house. And if uh, there's any doubt as to whether James is talking about believers or unbelievers here, <clears throat> he settles that in verse 9, right? With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about believers. He's not saying, here's the fallen man's tongue. That's what it used to be before you were regenerated. Now that we're Christians, oh, our tongue isn't like that anymore. He's talking to Christians. This is a letter to Christians, and he makes it clear in, this, in verse 9 that he's talking to us. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And, and how so? Right? How is it that we bless our Lord and Father with our, with our tongue? Well, uh, John Piper uh, uses uh, the words to make much of, which I, I kind of like, right? this idea that, um, that we use our words to make much of God. That's what we want to do. We want to make much of him. We, we want to speak highly of him, and that's what we do. With our tongues, we make much of our Lord and Father. And with the tongue, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So is it, is it Christians or non-Christians who are made in the likeness of God? What kind of people are made in the likeness of God, Christians or non-Christians? Well, it, it's, it's both. We curse people, Christian and non-Christian alike. And what is it like to curse people? Well, it's not, it's not the same as cursing as in bad language cursing. It's not saying a bad word to someone, but, though that would be included. That's not necessarily what cursing is. Um, cursing would be the opposite of blessing. So if we said that blessing was to make much of um, or speak highly of, then cursing would be to make little of or speak lowly of or speak down to. When we cut people down a little with our words, what, what are we doing? We're cursing them, we're belittling them, we're speaking down to them, speaking lowly about them, we're, we're cursing them. And how often are Christians guilty of cursing people who are made in the likeness of God? How, how often does that happen? How, how, how often does James 3, 1 through 12 happen in the Christian world. The tongue that blesses is the same tongue that curses, verse 10. And then James um, addresses the situation plainly. Um, My brothers, fellow Christians, these things ought not to be so. Well, um, the word ought is a very interesting word in this passage. Um, for certain reasons, maybe that are uh, unique to me, um, but I hope to make them to make it uh, important to you as well. So, in in philosophy, the word "ought" is really loaded with significance. The word "ought" in philosophy, worldly philosophy, O U G H T, is is loaded with significance. Atheist philosophers spend their whole uh, lifetimes observing and commenting on how things are. They observe how things are, right? What is the universe like? What is humanity like? What is ethical behavior like among humans? But they can never touch the word ought. 
you may know if you're philosophically minded yourself that you can never get an ought from an is. Atheist philosophers, it, 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 it racks their brain. They, they can't do it, and, and when they cheat and, and try to slip an ought in where the, everyone calls them on it, they can't do it. You can't get an ought from an is, ought, and the reason you can't get that is because the word ought implies purpose. And that's the one thing you don't have in an atheist universe. You don't have purpose. A random universe, uh, matter in motion, doesn't have any purpose to it. And that depresses a lot of uh, atheist philosophers. So how ought uh, humans behave ethically? Um, What are the things humans ought not to do? Well, God can tell you that. He is the one who assigns purpose in his universe. He can tell you what ought and ought not be done. And James says it definitively. The tongue used as a fire to set blazes and curse people, these things ought not to be so. And why not? Verse 11, does a spring pour uh, both salt and fresh water from the same opening? Do, uh, Do fig trees produce olives? or grapevines produce figs, verse 12. You can't get fresh water from a salt pond. So think about this. What is impossible in the natural world is, is possible with us and our tongues. What, what cannot be in the natural world, you can't get grapes from a fig tree. That's just impossible. You never get that. But with the, with, with the Christian's tongue, you, you get what ought not to be so you get the blessings and the cursings, and that ought not to be so. It's impossible in the natural world, but it's possible with us and our tongues that are set on fire. So according to James, we ought, um, um, according to James, we do what ought not to be done with our tongues. And the picture that he paints is, is very grim. It's not a nice picture. Again, this is heavy stuff. This, this, he's not making his point lightly or subtly. The tongue is a fire. The tongue does stain our whole body. The tongue does set the entire course of life on fire. The tongue is set on fire by hell. No human can tame the tongue. The tongue is a restless evil. The tongue is full of deadly poison. We do curse people with our tongues. And as he said at the front, we all stumble in many ways. So let me make an important connection um, so that we don't disassociate ourselves from our tongues. Okay, you, you, we might be tempted to say something like, wow, um, yeah, that, my tongue might be like that, but, uh, but I'm not like that. <laughs> it's, it's my tongue's fault. It's, it's not really my fault. If I can separate myself from this evil tongue that's set on fire by hell, uh, and that's really not me speaking. That's the fire of hell speaking, right? You want to separate yourself from this ugly, nasty thing. But... I don't think we can do that. Our Lord taught that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So our tongue only moves to the beat of our hearts. Our tongue represents our heart accurately. And what does that mean? Well, it means washing your mouth out with soap. Isn't going to do it. Not going to do it. This is a heart issue at the root. The tongue brings what's hidden in the heart out into the world. I I think there was a sermon where 
Brad, you quoted someone by saying, every time a mouth is open, a heart is on display. Maybe you don't remember that. I remember it. So no human can tame the tongue, but what is impossible with man is possible with God. God can tame the tongue. The tongue can be bridled with the power of God. And what does a bridled tongue look like? Well, let's not forget the horse bit and the ship rudder illustrations. Our tongue properly used, properly bridled, is a powerful tool that guides the whole body. The tongue is a gift, uh, a great and powerful gift. But fallen man takes God's gifts and sins with them. That, that's, what, that's what we do. The bigger the gift, the bigger the sin we use it for. So there are two ways to sin with the tongue, um, just as there are two ways to sin in general. There are tongue sins of commission, right? Using the tongue improperly or at the wrong time. And then there are tongue sins of omission, not using your tongue properly or at the right time. So tongue sins of commission, tongue sins of omission. And I think that a good illustration here would be uh, the illustration uh, of a fire, like a, a real fire, fire that we're familiar with. So if you think uh, of fire, fire is a gift from God, okay? God, God created fire. Um, when is it a good time to use a fire? Well, to cook, to warm your house, to light a candle. Those are all good times to use a fire. It would be foolish not to use a fire when it's time to cook or time to warm your house or time to light a candle. You ought to, you ought to use a fire at that time. When's it a wrong time to use a fire? In bed, at a gas station, when you're putting hairspray in your hair? Bad time, bad times to use a fire. So your tongue, your mouth, and I might add, any kind of writing that you do, any words that come from you, whether it's your tongue or your thumbs or your fingers, whatever, any kind of writing, <clears throat> anything that you speak, they produce valuable words. You need to use them. To not use them would be a sin. God's word needs to be shared. People need to hear you speak. Words need to be spoken. And you need to use your words wisely. You need to use them properly. There is a way that your words ought to be used. But your words can be used improperly. You can sin with your words. And you can sin very greatly with your words. You can set an entire forest on fire with a single word. Amen, right? Uh, <laughs> thank you for that. Um, talk to me, talk to me after. <laughs> There's a story that you'll like. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got a story for you. Yeah, so um, you can sin very greatly with your words. Use your words improperly and you can light yourself, your family, and all the people that you speak to on fire with the fire from hell. How many words does it take to curse a person made in the image of God? Very few. And sometimes none if you're the person who's supposed to be speaking and you withhold your words. 
So, where do we look um, for help and for hope here? We, we look to Jesus, who has the words of eternal life. Now, um, to, to some people, his words sounded pretty harsh, and to others, his words sounded sweeter than honey. But Jesus always spoke the truth, and his words have life-giving power. And God delights for his children to speak as he did. Now, that's a, that's a high calling for us. And I want to clarify something, that it, 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 would be, it would be wrong to think of Jesus as an outside party who might be able to help us clean up our mouths, right? That, that's, that's like a, a swear jar, right, that helps us stop swearing. It would be wrong to think of Jesus as an outside party who we might be able to turn to to help clean up our mouths. Remember, he, he is our head and we are his body. We are united to him and he sent his spirit to live in us. So we submit our tongues to his lordship that he may have his way with us and with our words. We, we submit our tongues to his lordship that he may have his way with us and with our words. Luther said that every Christian should be as Christ to his neighbor. Obviously not as Savior, but as one who shines the light of Christ. And not least of all with our, with our words. So th- there ought to be a similar sound between us and the one to whom we are united. There, there ought to be a similar sound between us and the one to whom we are united. Or if you like, the accent with which we speak ought to sound like Christ's accent. Um, And if that's going to be so, then we must listen intently to him as we read his word. That's that's the point. Um, if, If our words, if our mouths, if our accent is going to be like that of the one to whom we are united, like like our head and our Lord and our master, then we need to be listening to him intently in his word. So as we, as we close, you might be asking, and if you're not, then maybe you should be asking, this is hard work. This is, a, this is hard, hard work. Why should I pour effort into this? Or um, why should I undertake the task of bridling my tongue? What good does it do to work this heavyweight sanctification on my tongue? Well, because a proper use of your tongue brings glory to God. Um, Because a proper use of the gift of speech is a joyful business. Because God so loves you that he sent his son to die for you. Because God so loves you that he sent his Holy Spirit to live in you. And finally, because it's a good practice for when we get to heaven. Well, we all stumble in many ways, says James in verse 2. But let let me conclude here reading Jude 24 and 25 for you.
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present your to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our savior through Jesus Christ our lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time and now and forever amen let's pray Heavenly Father, this, this passage is, is your word, and it speaks to us. It speaks to Christians, speaks to Christians and their tongues. And I pray that your, that your Holy Spirit would convict us where we need to be convicted, that we would take this seriously for your glory, and for our joy. In Christ's name, amen.